The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick Avalt, and I'm sitting here with Matthew Carr. On today's episode, we're going to cover the 1969 Major League Baseball expansion, which resulted with a club in Kansas City, Seattle, Montreal, and San Diego. Mm-hmm. And the Royals, Expos, San Diego, and the Seattle Pirates. Pirates. Seattle Pilots mm-hmm. in 1969. And um, a big part of this expansion was to compete with football. But as a result of this expansion, the American and National Leagues both had to reorganize. Mm-hmm. And they were split into divisions. The East, the West, on both sides, American and National. Yep. There were a bunch of other cities that didn't get a chance to get a team. Buffalo wanted one. Dallas-Fort Worth wanted one. Milwaukee wanted one. Um Dallas Milwaukee were rejected because there were two clubs who already had a team at the time. Um, Houston and Chicago, respectively. And in 66, Commissioner um, William Eckert stated that cities should be considered for expansion, included Milwaukee, who had moved to Atlanta in 66, New Orleans, Oakland, San Diego, Seattle, and Toronto, and that it would occur in 8 to 10 years. So he is correct in what he wanted to do with baseball. And they had plans to expand to two 12-team leagues in, by 1970. The possibility of a third league, the Continental League, which never became a thing that I know of. Well, that was in... The Continental League was was proposed in 1959. And it was... And then in 1960, they made plans about it. They were going to make... Branch Rickey, the commissioner of that league, and they were going to have teams in Atlanta and Dallas and other cities that didn't have major league teams. And William Shea, who Shea Stadium's named after, he was behind that. I guess he was the money man behind it. But it didn't happen because that's when Major League Baseball first expanded in 1961 and 62 because the compromise was like, hey, you know, we'll get. You know, we're going to have a team in Houston and a team in New York in 1962 for the National League, and then 61, there, uh, American League had a team in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Angels, and then and the expansion Washington Senators because the original Washington Senators moved to Minnesota the, for the previous season became the Twins, so that's quashed the Continental League. And so that was the first expansion. And that's when you had like 10 teams in each league instead of the eight from 1901 to 1960, eight teams in each league. Now you have 10 teams. And then they expanded again in 1969 for various reasons, mostly to compete with the NFL because at that time the NFL gained in popularity big time with the Super Bowl and all that. 
you know, and so the MLB is like, oh man, we got to do something. <laughs> and so they're like, we're going to expand. Both leagues are, both team, sorry, both leagues are going to expand to two more teams. So now we're going to have 12 teams in each league. So 24 teams in the Major League Baseball, and we're going to expand the playoffs. Like, we're so big that we can't be whoever's in first place in each league gets to go to the World Series. You got to have a playoff, you got to divide it up. So that's what they did in 1969 when they added these four teams. Now, I like to start with our first team, the Kansas City Royals. And so they came together in 1969 in the American League. They were in the American League West. And they previously had a team, Kansas City previously had a major league team from 1955 to 1967, which was the Kansas City Athletics or the Kansas City A's. Because as we discussed in the Connie Mack episode, the A's moved from Philadelphia to Kansas City. Now, in 67, after the 67 season, their owner, Charlie Finley, our fellow Alabamian, moved the team from Kansas City to Oakland. And, of course, he was trying to move the team ever since he bought the team in 1961. He tried to move it anywhere and out of Kansas City, whether it be Dallas or Louisville or Atlanta. And then finally, Oakland, he's like, all right, we're going to move the team. He got the American League to agree to move the team. To move the ace to Oakland. Well, this pissed off the U.S. Senator from Missouri, Stuart Symington. He was furious that the American League of Major League Baseball let Finley and the A's move. And he threatened, he on the, on the House of the, on the Senate floor, he basically just bashed Charlie Finley, condemned him, did everything. And then he also threatened Major League Baseball to revoke their beloved antitrust. Uh, their antitrust exemption that's been around since 1922 if Kansas City did not get another major league team. And so American League was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to expand and we're going to give Kansas City a team and they're going to start in 1971. We're going to do this in 71, Kansas City and Seattle. We're going to do this in 71. But Stuart Simonson said, no, this needs to be happening right now, like 1969. And so <laughs> major league baseball, like, all right, We'll we'll make we'll do it to nineteen. We'll move it up two years. We'll we'll do this in nineteen sixty nine. Now, the Royals they played at Municipal Stadium where the A's played, and also the Kansas City Chiefs of the National Football League played there during their glory years in the sixties. And before that, when it was a minor league stadium known as Mulebach Field or Blue Stadium or Rupert Stadium, the Kansas City Blues of the minor league American Association played there, as well as the Negro League Kansas City Monarchs. So, from 1923 onwards, when the stadium was built, it, lots of history in Municipal Stadium. Underrated in historic stadiums in MLB history. And so, the stadium was ready to go because, obviously, like I said, it was previous, previously the home field of the Kansas City A's. 69 season, you know, they get this team thanks to their pal Stuart Symington. The owner was Ewing Kaufman. Who would later who would own the team until his death in like 1993, I think, and later you know their their future stadium, Royal Stadium, became Kauffman Stadium. That's who Kauffman Stadium named after. And the first manager was Joe Gordon, who played on those great Yankees teams in the 30s and 40s, as well as a member of the 48 Indians when they won the World Series. Um. So they did the in '68. They everybody did a expansion draft, like the expansion teams did expansion draft. And they drafted a bunch of – all the teams drafted a bunch of players on – they were already on Major League rosters. 
And I'm a hockey fan, so we've had two expansion teams in the last four or five years. Uh, you got the new Seattle team and the uh, Vegas team. So the expansion drafts a point of contention amongst yeah. those fans because of how it should be done. Mm-hmm. And so the they did this in October of 1968. The Royal, I mean, the Expos and the Padres did on October 14th, and then the Royals and the Pilots did the next day on October 15th. And you know they drafted a bunch of players from different team uh, from different teams. Um, honestly, I'm looking through this list on the only notable. There's two people that I saw the two players on the list that I saw that they that they drafted that <clears throat> excuse me that they drafted that break that catch my eye like I already know off the bat. One was Mo Drabowski, who was a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. He Helped them. He was a member of their '66 World Championship team, and he was a, known as a, a prankster. Like we could do an episode on Mo Drabowski. He used to do a lot of pranks. And Hoyt Wilhelm was in the Hall of Fame as great relief pitcher. But uh, so he does pranks like Maddox did in the bullpens in the uh, locker room at the Braves. Yeah, but Wilhelm never pitched for the Royals because two months after the draft, he got traded to the California Angels for Edgar Patrick and this Pitkey. So they had this. Draft, but they traded Hoyt Willem to get other players, so he never played for the Royals. I wasn't able to find the format of the draft and how they were able to select and choose what they wanted. Yeah, I, I really haven't found that either. It's, I apologize for that, but it's just, you know. And that's what I was getting at with, with the hockey reference, because a lot of hockey fans think the drafts were loaded to the favorite team, to the new teams, because yeah. uh, Vegas went to the playoffs. And went to the Stanley Cup their first year as a franchise, yeah. which is what I was leading into. Um, and even though, even though the teams didn't start playing until 1969, the team, the expansion teams were allowed to have minor league teams, like somewhat of a minor league system. So for 1968, the Royals had three minor league teams, two single A and one single A short season. The High Point Thomas High Toms in the Carolina League was managed by Jack McKeon, who we all know, you know, who later became the Royals manager as they as years go on, and of course more famously with the Florida Marlins in 2003. But I just want to throw that out there because even though they didn't start playing until 1969, Major League Baseball is like, you guys can have a farm, you can have some farm teams. Jack McKeon was a career baseball guy. That'd be a good, interesting guy to read up on. Yeah, he's a he's a baseball lifer. He, he's written at least two books, so I mean there's a lot to talk about Jack McKeon. Um and so, 1969. So, here's it. The week before the season started, the Royals traded Steve Whitaker and John Gelnar to the Seattle Pilots for Lou Pinella. Lou Pinella was originally drafted by the Pilots in the expansion draft, and he didn't play a game for the Pilots in the regular season. He, got, he immediately got traded to the Royals. And then, of course, that year they also... All the teams participated in the Major League Draft 1969, the regular draft of June. They drafted two guys, one guy named Keith Marshall in the fifth round and Frank Ortensio in the 47th round. That's a lot of rounds. But anyway, the first game of Kansas City Royals history was on April 8th at Municipal Stadium. <clears throat> the Kansas City Royals beat the Billy Martin-led Minnesota Twins 4-3 in 12 innings. And Mo Drabowski, who was the pitcher, got the win. He was not the starting pitcher. He was a reliever. And, you know, 
at least according to Wikipedia, the one thing of note about the season, on May 4th, 1969, Bob Oliver became the first Royal to collect six hits in a nine-inning game. And Bob Oliver was a first baseman and an outfielder. Okay, I remember. He played for the Pirates and Angels. Okay, yeah, so that's a name I'm familiar with, but vaguely. And anyway, so the Royals finished the season fourth in the American League West with a 69-93 and record. Out of the four teams, of the four expansion teams, the Royals had the best record out of all. Wins wise and probably win percentage too, but basically wins wise. Uh, Lou Pinella <clears throat> won American League Rookie of the Year that year, so that's a plus. And then in an All Star game, they had one uh, player make the All Star game, Ellie Rodriguez. He didn't play; he was just reserved. But still, you know. So there was some success out of all the out of all the four teams. This was the most successful out of all of them. At least in the first season. Yeah, so Kansas City was like the, you know, that they were the star of the 69 expansion season. And, I mean, they had winning records against the Chicago White Sox and the Seattle Pilots. They both went 10-8 against them. And they had a winning record against the Washington Senators, who were managed by Ted Williams that season. It was 7-5. But, you know, they... They went 1-11 against the pennant-winning Baltimore Orioles, which that's to be expected. It's the Orioles. They were great back then. Now, not so much. But afterwards, you know, as the Royals are still a team, obviously, after 52 years, so it'll be like 53 seasons, they're still a team. They've won two na- – oh, not national. I'm sorry. World Two titles. World Series championships. World titles. Yeah, 1985 and 2015. And they're and out of all the expansion teams that year, out of all the four expansion teams, they're the only team to win the World Series out of those four. So I would say they'd be the breadwinner of this expansion. And Stuart Simonton was appeased, and he didn't uh, revoke Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption. Can we agree that it all comes down to ownership? Yeah, I mean, Ewan Kaufman, he's a lo- he's from Can I believe he's from Kansas City. He was, you know, a part of the Kansas City. Scene, you know, unlike Charlie Finley, who whether like, from there or not, you embed yourself in it, right? And he was not openly looking for looking toward to move the team ever since he bought it. So, you know, everybody was appeased. It was a happy story for Kansas City. You know, I really feel like uh, two championships as a um, mid-market team because they're you know you don't have the you're not a New York team with all the money they have. Yeah, or an LA team. Yeah, you're yeah. just a Midwestern. Midwestern ball club and two championships. I feel like that's respectable. Yeah, I mean they did very well, and they had a they had a wagon. What was it? 2012, 2013. They won. 2015. 15. They had a wagon that year. Yeah. In the year before that, you know, they lost the Giants in seven games. It was the All UNA World Series with Josh Hollinghale on the Royals and Sergio Romo for the Giants? So, but you know. um, and great players like George Brett, obviously. He wasn't part of the 69 team, obviously. But, you know, Mr. Royal can't go wrong with George Brett and, you know, help him lead the World Series in 85. And, I can't know. believe he hasn't started his own pine tar company. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that either. I guess he's just enjoying living the Hall of Fame life, you know. I'm sure he works for the Royals in some capacity, but, you know. 
kind of like Chipper is now for the Braves. Probably he's like a yeah. He's consulting. I guarantee it. Right. You know, he's he's part of the payroll. Like Hank Aaron was on the Braves payroll after his retirement for many years. For probably Braves. still his death. Damn yeah. Man, I have to guess. You know, from farm director to you know community ambassador. Or I'm sure there was Tyler, like vice president to the owner or something like that. But anyway, you know, the Royals. If there's if there's anything you get out of this podcast, the Royals were the most successful team out of the '69 season of the expansion teams. And you know, Lou Pinella, that's a name everybody knows. Lou Pinella, you obviously more. I would say more. Little short, fiery man. Yeah, probably more successful as a manager than a player. But you know, he's you know he was a name everybody knows him, and you know the Royals had some talent, and it showed obviously in the standings. Is there anything else like to add to about the Royals? I'm set. I think pretty much covered it all. All right. So now let's go to the the second team, the San Diego Padres. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now the Padres, you know, San Diego had a minor league team for many years in the Pacific Coast League, and it was also called the San Diego Padres. So that's where they got their name. I don't know where the I think the Royals had a name team contest, but you know. Anyway, the Padres just they just kept you know the minor league name, kind of like the Baltimore Orioles. You know, when they went from major to minor to back to major, they were just the Orioles. You know, Padres were like, hey, let's just be the Padres again. That's fine. That's a good name. Everybody can get down that name. Get down that name. <clears throat> and uh, their owner was for that first season was C. Arnold Arnholt Smith. Yeah, he's a guy that formerly owned the Pacific Coast Padres, as you were saying. Yeah, I mean, he was a San Diego guy. You know, this has been San Diego. His his interests, yeah, banking, tuna fishing, hotels, real estate, and he owned an airline. So tuna fishing was a hobby, and the rest was how he made his money. If I had to, if I had to guess on it. Yeah, I mean he had some money, and Joe Manger was Buzzy Bavasi, who was a longtime executive for the Dodgers, both in Brooklyn and in Los Angeles, and the manager was Preston Gomez, who was a Cuban for. Excuse me, Cuban-born infielder, manager, and coach at front office official for League Baseball. And he managed the Padres. Let's see, did he play? Okay, so he played for the Washington Senators in 1944. He played a few games for them. He had a cup of coffee with the Senators in 44. But still, you know, he's a baseball guy. He was a baseball lifer. You know, seems like the right guy to, um, the right guy to lead his team. And so and here's the interesting thing. So the local radio... They're, the guy, the radio station broadcasted the Padres games, K-O-G-O. Hall of Famer and Duke Snyder was a part of that broadcast team. So I thought that was interesting. And then the uh, expansion draft, the Padres picked a bunch of guys like Dave Justy from St. Louis Cardinals who played baseball at Syracuse University when Syracuse had a baseball team. No, they don't, but we, that could be an episode. Syracuse not have baseball anymore? No, it, it just continued in 1972 because the school was going through some financial difficulties. And, and they still don't have one. And they still don't have one. They have a D1 program, they don't have a baseball team. Yeah, they're the only team the ACC does not have a baseball program. They have a club team, but I I didn't go to any of their games. I didn't know where they played. They, they weren't very good with social media. So, wow. and of course, Dave Justy later uh, played for the 1971 World Champ Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a league pitcher. Um, 
some other names like Nate Colbert. Nate Colbert, that was a big one because they got him in the draft from the Astros, and um, he's still the Padres' leader in home runs. Yeah, so that was a big win for them in the draft, getting Nate Colbert, because that's where he really shined, and I believe he's in the San Diego Padres Hall of Fame. As he should be. He's that's currently their home run leader. Right, you know. And um, Zolo, Zoilo Versales, they got him from the Dodgers, but he played on the Twins. I think he was a member of their 65 American League Championship team with Don Mencher and, and uh, Harmon Killebrew and Jim Cotton, all those guys. You know, so that's a name. Um, that's all. That's the only ones like, oh, Cito Gaston from the Atlanta Braves, who later went on to become the Blue Jays manager, and he led them to back-to-back World Series titles in 92-93. So out of all this list of guys, those are the only names I can, that really stand out to me in that sense. But... You know, kind of like Hoyt Wilhelm, Dave Justy never played a game for the Padres. You know, they, they traded him back to this. In December, they traded Justy back to the Cardinals for Ed Spezio, Danny Breeden, Ron Davis, and Phil Knuckles, who was just a minor leaguer. So he didn't get to play. So, like, you know, they have these drafts and then they don't really. They just draft guys to just trade them, you know? <laughs> which is kind of a. Which is kind of a dick move because you're thinking all right i get to be on this team and then they're like no i don't get to be on this team anymore i get to go somewhere else oh great you know it's kind of like building a lego model Mm -hmm. and just grabbing all the pieces you think will look good and then when it comes together it's like you know what you actually don't fit yeah so they play their games at san diego stadium which is also known as jack murphy stadium which was also known as qualcomm stadium and now it's been demolished but they played their and games now it's there. Petco Park. Well, now they play Petco Park, which is a beautiful place. I'd love to go there one day. Yeah, I love. Yeah, but yeah. And so the Padres won their first ever game against the Houston Astros at San Diego Stadium on April eighth, two to one. And Dick Selma was the winning pitcher. Spezio hit a home run. I guess it was the first. That, that would be the first home run in Padres history. You know. And they had some other guys on the team like. Um, I got to find this. Like Jack Billingham, who later pitched for the Reds during their glory days in the 70s. Uh, Joe Necro, Phil Necro's brother, played for them. Um, I'm just trying to see. Nate Colbert, obviously. Cito Gaston. And this is, my, this is my favorite. Johnny Padres, who won a World Series with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1955. Johnny Padres, he ended in 1969. He ended his base major league career with the San Diego Padres, and there's a great picture of him in from 1969 in his Padres uniform, and they wore like the ugliest uniforms known to mankind: the brown and yellow uniforms, like the Charlie Brown colored uniforms. They're it's, so bad that I love them. Yeah, I mean they're this. It's, it's you know. It's just so bad, you just gotta love him. Though. I mean, Charlie Brown was the one who described that. Like, if I was wearing that uniform, I'd be waiting for what's her name to rip the football out from under me and just go, wah, Lucy, wah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And so, just, I, I think it's just really cool that Johnny Padres, whose name is P O D R E S, but it's pronounced Padres, ended his career with the San Diego Padres, P A D R E S. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And just like, you know, 
If you ever see like baseball card pictures of Johnny Padres in a San Diego uniform, here's one I found that on eBay that he signed. Oh, here we go. You see that, Patrick? So that's him in his Padres uniform, even though it's not like yellow and brown. It says the brown San Diego, you know. I mean, it's just it's just really cool, you know, just Padres and on the Padres. I'm sorry, Padres on the Padres. Okay. And um, so they finished the season dead last in the American, I'm sorry, National League West with a 52-110 and 110 record. They were 41 games behind the pennant-winning Atlanta. I mean, sorry, the NL West division-winning Atlanta Braves. Yes, the Braves were in the NL West, which is so weird, but whatever. It, it, it was a weird time. The Reds were in the NL West that year too, uh, during that time too. So it's just Major League Baseball was weird how they divided stuff back in '69. But <clears throat> you know, they were not a good team, which again. You're an expansion team. It's your first year. Nobody's expecting you to win the pennant. But out of all the teams, they did have a winning record against their fellow expansion team, the Montreal Expos. They went 8-4 against the Expos. But all the other teams, they finished they, they had losing records against. Uh, Chicago, the Cubs, they went 1-11. They won 11 against the Cubs and then the World Series champion Mets. You know. And... Um, They drafted some guys in the in the '69 draft. One of them was Doug Desensis, who didn't play for the Padres. Well, they drafted him in the 18 round, but he didn't sign. He later went on to become. We talked about him in the Ripman episode. He later went on to become the Orioles, play for the Orioles. But um, you know, Chris, the catcher Chris Kenizaro was the only was their representative in the All Star game that year, which was held, in, I believe, it was held in D.C. No, I'm getting that. Maybe I'm getting that confused. Anyway, anyway, but he, he was there. You know, he was their guy. And the farm system, you know, they had a double-A team and a single-A team, which was led by Don Zimmer, you know, baseball lifer, another baseball lifer, and a rookie ball team, like a single-season rookie ball. And, um, yeah, so the Padres, after that season, the Padres are still there. They were later bought by Ray Kroc, the founder of the McDonald's, back in 74. And he owned the team till his death in 1984. And they've won two National League pennants, but they never won a World Series. And, of course, they had great players like Tony Gwynn, Mr. Padre himself, among others. You know, and Trevor Hoffman. The best man to ever step into the virus box, in my opinion, is Tony Gwynn. Yeah. You know, you had Pete Rose. He's probably the second best man to ever step into the virus box with Tony Gwynn. He just hit Mr. Padre. He's probably they have. Uh, I don't even know where to go from talking about Tony Gwynn. He needs his own episode. Yeah, and we'll get there eventually. There's like like we said last episode. Baseball history. There's layers and layers of stuff to talk about. It's just endless and subjects that we can talk about. I'm sure it may sound sometimes it may sound redundant when mentioning things in previous episodes, but it all comes back together. You know, it's just that. Baseball history is awesome. It, you, it's hard to beat. I've always said baseball history is the best type of history, in my opinion. So it's just hard to beat it. So, anything else you'd like to add about the 69 Padres? I'm set on them. Um, yeah. I'm ready to go on to the uh, 
1969 Montreal Expos. Yes. So this was the Montreal Expos were the first Major League Baseball team to play in Canada. Yep. And they finished in the East with a 52 and 110 record. Same exact record as the Padres. 48 games behind the eventual World Series champions, New York Mets. Yep. Um, they didn't win any extra inning games, even though they went to a few. Yep. Um, they got a surprise no hitter in the ninth game they played. Yeah, is that something? <laughs> um, their entire attendance that entire year was 1.21 million, an average of 14,000 a game, which that's Huntsville Stars crap. That's, you know, the um, damn trash panels are doing more business than that in Madison yeah. nightly. But um, it, you know, but it's just proved that Canada was ready for Major League Baseball. That attendance, at least people million. showed up. People showed up to games, and they played at Jerry Park, which you know is now a tennis stadium of all things. But yeah, I mean, it was a Jerry Park in Montreal is actually a public park, and they had a baseball stadium that they made into Major League standards. They just called Jerry Park Stadium, or just Jerry Park. And Montreal has a rich, rich major, league, uh, rich minor league baseball history, with the Montreal Royals being a long time, a long time farm team of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And of course, that's where Jackie Robinson played his minor league team in minor league days. And so, you know, Montreal is a baseball town, even though they don't have a baseball team currently, which we're going to get to. You know, they're a baseball town. They got a great baseball history. I'd say better, much better than Huntsville. That's a, that's, a, that's a town that's hungry to bring a team back, which is what Matt's talking about. We're going to get to. Yeah. So um, they had their own, but they were owned by Charles Bronfman. Yep. He was a um, Canadian American businessman and a philanthropist. Um, and he came from a wealthy family. Yeah. He owned, his family owned Seagram's Vodka, which now is expanding to gins and whiskey. Yeah. I mean, for, all, for those of y'all who don't know, I work in the uh, alcoholic beverage distribution business for a living. Yeah. For my nine to five. And um, he's, his family is worth an estimated $2.5 billion as of last year. <laughs> and he was ranked up by Forbes as the 27th wealthiest Canadian and top 1,300 in the world. That he's, they're not hurting for money. No. And he's also in the baseball hall of fame. And he got inducted in 1984. Charles Bronfman? Mm-hmm. You mean the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame? He's not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh, man, the way that laid it out. Yes, he's in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame as of 1984. Okay. Yeah, it's just weird how... Um, um, and then his GM was a guy named Jim Fanning. That name's familiar. Um, he was a um, catcher, manager, and prop executive. Um, he was the first general manager of the Expos, mm-hmm. and he was there for almost 25 years. He um, was the actual manager in 81 and got him into the playoffs. I remember that. Yeah. Just in time for the um, anniversary of their team, at third, their 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and their manager that first year was a guy named Gene Watch. Yep, he managed the Phillies before that. Um, his second baseman for the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers, mm-hmm. in 44 and 48. I mean, he, he, was a, he was a journeyman. 
Yeah. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chicago Cubs, the Boston Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Boston Red Sox over about a looks like ten to twelve year career. Mm-hmm. Career two thirty nine guy hit five home runs, had a few RBIs, but he was more well known as a manager. But he only had a four eighty three winning percentage. Yeah, I mean he he basically managed just not very good teams like the Phillies in the sixties. He's in 64. They just weren't good. And then after the Expos, he went to the Angels. And, I mean, he did his best. He was a good, decent manager, but he's, he's, you know, he's not Connie Mack. <laughs> well, who could be Connie Mack, you know? Man, that, if Connie Mack was in this room today, you'd make out with him, wouldn't you? No. That's just your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so now the expansion draft. Now, there's a. At least to me, anyway, there's some more notable names that the Expos drafted the expansion draft, like Manny Moda, played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jack Billingham, who we previously mentioned with the Padres, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know how that worked. Oh, wait, I don't know how that worked out. We'll, we'll probably get to it. Don Clendenin, you know, Jesus Alou, part of the Alou brothers. Maury Wills, the guy who broke. Uh, Ty Cobb's uh, single-season career stolen base record back in 1962, I think. Great base dealer. He was an interesting guy. Uh, Mudcat Grant, who was a pitcher. He pitched for the – well, when they got him, he was with the uh, Dodgers. I think he passed away recently, too. At least last year, maybe 2020. Anyway, um, and that's about it. But there was a lot more notable names that they drafted compared to the others. Let's see. And then they tried to they tried to trade they tried to trade Don Clendenin and Jesus Alou to the Houston Astros for Rusty Staub. So Alou went and Rusty Staub came to the Expos, but Don Clendenin just refused to go to his new team, so they kept him. And then how does that work? Hey, I'm, we're trading you. No, I'm not going. I guess there's got to be more to this. I'm just reading off Wikipedia. Um, but the Expos were like, okay, so they sent Jack Billingham and Skip Gwynn and $100,000 to the Astros on April 8th for compensation. It's like, okay, we'll keep Clendenin, which is just – there's got to be more to the story than this. And that could be an episode or like part of an episode. You know, like how can you say no? Like – I mean, this was the year before, and this was like right before Kurt Flood not wanting to go to the Phillies, you know, after the 69th season, starting that whole reserve clause thing. But I guess the Expos were like, you know what? We're a new team. Maybe it's good to keep Clinton around, you know. So they kept him for the time being. And so 1969, they played their first game at Shea Stadium in New York. And they beat the New York Mets 11-10. It was a slugfest, right? Bob Bailey, he got the first hit and extra base hit in franchise history, which was a double in the first inning. And then the first home run hit by an expo. Relief pitcher Dan McGinn hit a two-run home run after Tom Seaver in the fourth inning. But, you know, and like Shaw, who's Shaw? Of course, you know, this is, you know, Mucker and Grant was a starting pitcher for opening day, but, you know, he didn't last. But he, 
But man, it was just something else. And Rusty Stop hit a home run to add up to it. So, but on April 14th was the first game in Canada at Jerry Park. It's the first NHL game in Major League Baseball history. Right. This was big. That was a big deal. And the Expos win 8-7 to seven over the defending nationally champ St. Louis Cardinals. And I believe Bob, it doesn't say it, but I believe Bob Gibson pitched that day. I could be wrong, though. But Mac Jones, who was a outfielder, a left fielder, excuse me, he hit a 3-1 home run and a 2-1 triple in that game. To you know, to help us to lead the Expo to victory, and it was the first home run hit outside the United States, and Dan McGinn became the first pitcher to win a game outside the United States, and then as Patrick mentioned a few days later, Bill Stoneman threw the fir- their Expo's first no hitter, beating the Phillies seven nothing at Connie Mack Stadium, which is formerly Shut Park, and you know. And then, like a few years later, in 1972, Bill Stoneman pitched another no-hitter, which was also 7-0, against the New York Mets at Jerry Park on October 2nd. So Bill Stoneman, you know, he got two no-hitters with the Expos. So that's pretty good. That's very good. And um, from what I'm looking at, it looks like you're right about Bob Gibson throwing the um, no-hitter. Or uh, not throwing the game. Don't, don't in the game. Yeah, the Montreal. Pitching. Yes. And so, you know. But like, but you know, and then like, uh, as Expos did a lot of trades. It seemed like more trades than the uh, the previous two teams we mentioned. Like they trade Buckhead Grant to the Cardinals for Gary Wazlewski on June third, and then June eleventh they trade Maury Wills and Manny Moda to the Dodgers for Ron Fairley and Paul Popovich. And then also that same day they traded Paul Popovich to the Cubs for Aldolfo Phillips and Jack Larn oh Lamaby. And but, possibly a fucking sack of baseballs. Yeah, or maybe yeah. There's, there's probably some uh, financial compensation. So June fifteenth, our dear fr- our our friend Don Clendenin, who did not want to go to the Astros for whatever reason, the Expos finally trade him to the New York Mets for Kevin Collins, Steve Rinko, Bill Carden, who was in Miners, and Dave Cullen was also Miners. Now, I would say that this trade worked out in spades for the New York Mets because Clendenin. Helped the Mets win the World Series that year. So I think the Mets got the better deal out of, you know, the trade in that sense. But one player I like to mention is Rusty Staub. Rusty Staub, you know, he was a great player. Not a Hall of Fame, but he's a good, very good player. And he played for the Houston Cole 45s and Astros before, you know, he started with the Expos. But man, he really. Expos fans took a liking to this guy. Like, he was a big hit in Montreal. And I remember when he passed away in 2018, MLB Network had a little video montage of him. And it's they said, hey, you know, when he went to play for the Expos, he, he was talking about how he, he, won, he, he went out, out of his way to learn to speak French because Montreal is in Quebec and they speak French in, in Quebec and Montreal. He went out of his way to learn French to communicate with the fans and get to know the fans better. He really endeared himself to the fans by doing that. He didn't have to do that. He could have just done, you know, just could spoke English. I'm a white American man playing baseball in French Canada. Right. Screw y'all. 
Yeah, but he did. You know, he he wanted to learn it, and he did, and he garnered the nickname Le Grand Orange because of it, because he had red hair, you know, and just and you know he led the team in multiple categories. He led he had a three hundred two average, twenty nine home runs, one hundred sixty six hits, eighty nine runs scored, one hundred fifty eight games. He led the team in all that. And he also had seventy nine RBIs and stole three bases. And the funny thing is, like, Maury Wills, even though he only played 47 games with the Expos before being traded, he still managed to lead the team in stolen bases with 15 because, well, you know, he's Maury Wills. He's going to steal his bases. But they finish, you know. But like we said, they finished in last place with the same record as the, uh, the Padres. And then afterwards, the Expos, you know, they kept playing until 2004. They changed stadiums in 1977. They came to Olympic Stadium. Yeah, and, it was built for the Olympics. Right, 1976 Olympics. They were in Montreal. It's a sweet stadium with the big old spike coming out of the yeah. top of it. Similar situation to Turner Field and Braves. Right? Yeah, Turner Field was a um, track and field. Yeah. And the Expos never won a World Series. They made the playoffs multiple times, but they had great players like Gary Carter, Tim Raines, Vladimir Guerrero. Obviously, Rusty Staub, which we just mentioned. I mean, um, didn't they have um, Brandon Johnson at one point also? Yes, they had. Yeah, because, yeah, like the start of his career, because he was, you know, part of the Expo's farm team, just like Larry Walker. Larry Walker was an Expo before he went to the Rockies and the Cardinals. You know, they, the Expo's had some great players, and they just let go early, and, well, they went on to bigger and better How teams. many Hall of Famers is that we just named? You know, like, well, let's see, yeah. Five or six, seven. Yeah, I mean, Gary Carter. Tim Raines, Vladimir Guerrero, uh, uh, Larry Walker, and Randy Johnson. That's five Hall of Famers they had. And they were all, naming offhand without actually digging into it. Right. You know, just off the top of my head, you know. And, of course, they – And they had the sweetest uniforms in the business, too. They really did. Like, I think they they and the Pilots, and I think the Royals, too, started the whole baby blue uniform trend. Like, 69 – you know, you see a 69 Pilots or 69 uh, 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 Expos uniform. You see those baby blues. And, I'm you know, touching going those powder blues like the Braves. Yeah. Eh, well, the Cardinals. Not as much. Cardinals. The Cardinals well, slaps, yeah. as the kids say these days. I don't know <laughs> what the term is. Um, the Royals baby blues, sweet. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but I think, and, you know, this is the 60s. You know, colors were everywhere. Psychedelic music was happening. It, it was the first time people were actually willing to take a chance on. Let's be bold with these uniforms. Yeah, I mean, Charlie, you know, like we're we're Auburn, Bama, Georgia fans. Our football teams wear just here's same, what we wear. Yeah, same, same stuff. uniforms. And Charlie Finley with the Kansas City A's kicked that off in '63 by introducing green and gold, which are UAB's colors, you know, and just yeah, it, 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 this started the whole thing. Now it's like, hey, let's be a little more colorful. Uniforms, which I think was great. Can't hurt. Probably sells more jerseys, which I'm not sure they were selling jerseys in concession stands back then the way they do now. But right, but it it brought awareness to your team. It brought some attention to your team. It, it was a give it a little flash. Right, you're like, whoa, what are those uniforms? It, it was a nice, it was a nice change of pace. But the Royals, you know, other Royals, I'm sorry, the Expos, they went through some tough times in the late '90s, early 2000s. They're once they were owned by Jeffrey Loria, who later owned the Marlins, and then they. You know, they got MLB took over the team in like 2002, 2003. They played some games in San Juan, Puerto Rico. 
And then to after the 2004 season, they moved to Washington, D.C. and became the Washington Nationals. And Montreal has been out without a baseball team ever since. And they've been trying, they've been trying. And the Tampa Bay Rays want to play half their home games in Montreal for some reason. And I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's, who knows, man. It's just been... And there's so many people that think that the Washington Senators and the Washington Nationals are the same, but they're not. There's yeah, a different they, lineage that leads there. Yeah, different lineage and leads. There's two different, two different franchises. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so many people are like, oh, man, well, why are we bringing back this? Well, not the Senators. They're a different franchise. They're a different franchise, different team. You know, you can't call them that. And, um, but a happy story out of all this, the Expos had a mascot named Yupi, which was this big orange thing. After the Expos left, the NHL team Montreal Canadiens adopted him as their mascot. So now Yuppie's with the Canadiens, you know, so Yuppie's still around. So that's a nice little happy ending. The Canadiens have two mascots, or they just adopt him as the guy? I think they just adopt him as the guy. I'm not, I'm not a hockey person. I am when it comes to my Predators, but I don't know a ton about a lot of other stuff. Like, I couldn't do a hockey podcast. Right. If any of our listeners are hockey fans or fans of the Montreal Canadiens, Please double check us on this and see if there's any other mascots. If it's just you, be great. If not, let us know. Send us the email on baseballhis101 at gmail.com. That's it. I look forward to your um, text message or email, Russell. <laughs> so just let us know, you know. But like I said, out of, it's sad that Montreal is no longer have a team, especially a major league team. But there was a happy story with Yuppie. And hopefully, maybe one day, if Major League Baseball expands again, maybe Montreal will get a team back. Who knows? The, the, sky, the, the sky's the limit. Anything's possible these days. All right. So, um, we're ready for the uh, last team of the expansion? Oh, this is this is great. The um, 1969 Seattle Pilots? The 1969 Seattle Pilots. Long live the 1969 Seattle Pilots. Yes, sir. <laughs> it was the only season that they played, 1969 to 1969, rest in peace and peace. Um, along with the Royals they were placed in the newly established Western Division of the American League yep Um, they finished which is becoming a trend last yep with a record of 64 and 98 which threw them a couple games off of what everybody else was at yeah Um, 33 games behind which I think it's an expansion team you should have to have some drum bands I'm sorry like hockey kind of screwed it up with these last two teams that the first year, the Vegas Knights were in the Stanley Cup. First year as a team. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't do your expansion draft right. you got to have some growing pains. Right. They didn't have much growing pains but that you, season. I thought you should be required to have some of those. I think their growing pains was losing the Stanley Cup Finals. That is probably their growing pains. Well, <laughs> there's a bunch of Canadian teams where the hockey kind of trickled down from that are pissed off they couldn't get in and hadn't won a, I hadn't made a Canadian team win in right. almost 30 years now. So Yeah. But um, they played at this place called Six Stadium. Yep. Also known as Six Seattle Stadium. Um, it's in Long time Rainier ago. Valley on the northeast corner of McClellan and Rainier. If you've ever been to Seattle, you might know where that's at. It, it was, looks pretty close to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a long time home of the Seattle Rainier's minor league team in the Pacific Coast League. So, they're... For any Pacific Coast League fans out there, that's you know, that's what Sage Six Stadium's known for before the pilots. Their owner was a cat named Dewey Soriano. Yep. Um, and Joe Schultz was their manager. 
Yep, and uh, Marvin Milks was the GM. Mm-hmm. But they had a uh, fan problem. Yeah, We talked about how many fans came and saw the club up north. But they only had 678,000 fans come, which it was 20th out of 24 of the major league teams at that time. Um, and they wound up going into bankruptcy after a season. Mm-hmm. The stadium was old, dilapidated. That didn't really necessarily help them. Nope. Um, prices were among the highest in the major leagues because they knew they weren't going to get the fan base, so they had to charge more for you to come mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, The team was sold in a federal court in Seattle on March 31st and it moved to Milwaukee and became the Milwaukee Brewers. Yep, but see the bottom. But, um, so, in the 60s, for the story with Seattle, base, at least Major League Baseball, the first time around, Seattle was looked at by other teams to move. Charlie Finley looked at them with the Kansas City A's, and William Daly, who owned the Cleveland Indians at the time, was looking, looking towards Seattle, maybe thinking about moving the Indians to Seattle, which... Glad they did. But, um, uh, and then, so this, this draft happens. Or the, the, the Major League Baseball is like, okay, we're going to put a team in Kansas City for American League as well as Seattle. You guys are going to get Major League teams. And like I said before, when we talked about the Royals, they were originally going to do this in 1971. Which, and before that, they were trying, the city of Seattle was trying to get bonds for a new dome stadium. Because they knew that Six Stadium was not Major League Baseball ready. They're going to need some time. And if they did it in 71, they would have had enough time to get Six Stadium Major League ready. But because Stuart Simonton threw a hissy fit and demanded that the Royals show up in 1969, then American League Major League Baseball was like, okay, we're doing the 69. So you're saying they rushed into it. They rushed into it. That, that did not give the owners of the pilots enough time to get six stadium ready. And then another thing, they, there was a bad winter that year in Seattle, which affected renovations and expansion of the stadium. And so when you have opening day, there are still workers at the stadium, you know, hammering down bleachers in the outfield for people to sit. Like some people's seats were not ready yet. Come game time. So they're sitting on concrete, waiting on that two by four to come across. Right. Or, well, I guess two by twelve to come across them to yeah. sit on. In short, it was a disaster of a season. Now, going to the 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 players, the the sixty eight expansion draft. Uh, let's see. We mentioned Don Mencher, our Huntsville guy. He got drafted. Tommy Harper, who played for the Indians, and before that, he played with the Reds. With Pete Rose and Frank Robinson, uh, Ray Euler with the Tigers, Diego Segui was with the Oakland A's, um, Lou Pinella, as we mentioned, but again, he never played a game for the Pilots. He went straight to the Royals. Wow, Lou! I remember him. Was he was the he was the opening day manager from the expansion other team? We might tie the episode later. The uh, Devil Rays. Yeah, he, he did manage the Devil Rays. Was he the opening day guy for them? Do you remember? No, he was still with the Mariners at that point because the Rays came in '98. Lou didn't become the manager of the Rays until like 2003, 2004, something like that. Hello, Lou Pinella. 
Me too. He's a fiery guy that I would love to play for. Yeah. Those are some names that I recognize. And in 68, they only had one um, minor league team, the Newark Co-Pilots of the New York Penn State League. Short you know, short season single A team. It was managed by former Boston Brave Sippy Sisty. So that's a name I, I recognize in baseball history. But anyway, this season, this season was it. So they started out great. April 8th, like the main opening day, the Pilots won their first ever game 4-3 at Anaheim Stadium against the California Angels. Marty Patton went five innings. You know, uh, Mike Hegan hit Seattle's first ever home run, a two-run shot off for Jim McLaughlin after uh, second base of Tony Harper hit a double. So they won their first game ever. And then on April 11th, they played the first game at Sixth Stadium. And this was when they're still working on the stadium as the game is going on. It was not... If anybody got a raw deal in the 1969 expansion season, it was the Seattle Pilots. The way you're describing this, I know it's not how it happened. I'm describing guys out there hammering nails yeah. on scaffolds. While people are in the stadium watching ball, yeah. that's the way I'm. That's why I'm envisioning. I'm sure they weren't there. With the that's how I'm envisioning yeah. this. But they also won their first ever game at Six Stadium. They beat the Chicago White Sox seven to nothing. Gary Bell for the Pilots tossed a complete game uh, shutout, scattering nine hits, struck out six, walking four. Our boy Don Mincher hit a two home run home two run home run in the third inning. Which was the first? I think that was the first. He was the first pilot player to hit a home run at home in Six Stadium, and the official tennis was fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety-three, which is good. But as as the season went on, that regressed because high ticket prices, the stadium was not ready, and there were multiple. There, there were other problems with the stadium, and that plumbing was a problem. It got to the point where like. The toilets overflowed, and there was not a lot of water pressure, and players couldn't get a hot shower in the locker room at Six Stadium. Kind of like what's going on in uh, Oakland now. Yeah, like a, yeah, and then like there was a lot. They had to get porta potties, and there was long lines of porta potties, and yeah, it, it was it was a dumpster fire. And so, and Mike Hegan was their only. He was elected to the All Star game that year. But he got hurt, so our boy Don Mincher took his place in the All-Star game. And so that was nice, you know. Oh, and by the way, so one of my future store stops between now and May is going to be about a photomechanical print of Don Mincher that's in the Hall of Fame collection. Like, they had a bunch of photomechanical prints of the 69 Pilots, various Define photomechanical. I wish I had a picture. Basically, it's like... Because I don't know what that means. I didn't know what it means either. Basically, it looks like a painting, but it's like... It's photomechanical. It's like a printing press kind yeah, of Yeah, like thing. a printing press sort of thing. So there's like a... In the picture, as well as the other Seattle Pilots photomechanical prints, there's a headshot of Mincher in the, with, the, with the Seattle Pilots captain smiling. And then like below that, there's a picture of him... Or a painting of him at first base, you know, doing stretch in the a grounder. You know, it was. If I can find it, let's see, photo of Kim. You know. Okay, so I couldn't find the actual print uh, because the Baseball Hall of Fame is updating their digital collection. 
But I found, doing a Google search, I found a photomechanical print of Mincher's Seattle teammate, Mike Keegan. And basically, as I'm going to show Patrick right now, it's a green background with a headshot of the player, a action shot of the of the player. In this case, Higgins swinging the bat. Mincher was digging, you know, he's at first base, he was digging out a grounder, and the signature of the player in question at the bottom. That's what a photomechanical print would look like. And they can, I guess the pilots, or as you know, it was a company called Arco. I can't remember the can't remember what it stands for, but this company, I guess, worked with Major League Baseball to make these photomechanical prints of different players on different teams. Like they have not in the Hall of Fame, but like on eBay, I saw some of the Boston Red Sox photomechanical prints of those that John Wielden did for the Red Sox. Excuse me, the Arco paid John Wielden do for the teams. So I plan to do that. I plan to do a, uh, a shortstop on that. Probably, probably the last short stuff I write in, in May to like finish it all off. But I got to talk to the Hall of Fame and see if I could at least look at the photo. You know, like I got to describe what it is. So I got to talk to them and see if I can get an image or something like, even though they haven't updated, they haven't put it up on the updated digital collection yet. So for what it's worth, also, um, I would like for you to save that and we could do an Instagram or a. Um Twitter of what we're doing and we can share pictures of the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. So we can save those pictures. I'm sure the Hall of Fame would be more than willing to give you that to do that. Yeah. And I mean, for what it's worth, the people at home, um, it's kind of looks like a old school baseball card, but it's a picture. Yeah. It's like kind of a poster sort, like maybe a yeah. poster sort. Of thing. Um, it looks like a screen printed poster or something like that. It, it it's really neat. Yeah, and um, so the team, you know that, and I'm sure everybody knows that pitcher Jim Bouton was on that team, and he wrote a book about the 1969 season and his time with the Pilots called Ball Four. If you're a baseball fan, you're surely aware of what ball four is. I've owned the book. I've read it. It's a diary that Bowden wrote about the 69 season with his time with the pilots. And then in, near in August, he got traded to the Astros. Can I borrow that? Yeah, I recommend it. I have it at the house. Um, and here he basically breaks a lot of taboos and what goes on in a clubhouse. A major league baseball. What happens in clubhouse? You don't speak about in the clubhouse. Yeah, and well, Jim Bowden decided to speak about it and publish it, and it was a best-selling book. But a lot of major league baseball did not care for that. It sounds very similar to a book my dad had when I was um, probably ten years ago. It was called the Clubhouse Diaries. But the guy who wrote that book, I can't tell you who it was, what club it was. He changed the likenesses of everything and wrote about it. And he's a minor league guy. Yeah. So, Major League Baseball was pissed off at Jim Bowden for this. Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball at the time, tried to get him to get Bowden to release a statement saying that all this was lies and Bowden wouldn't do it because it was true. <laughs> and Mickey Mantle, who Bowden played for the Yankees before he came to the Pilots, Mickey Mantle just wouldn't speak to him for the longest time until like years later. And Don Mincher, I got a story about Don Mincher and, and, and uh, the pilots. 
So I was working at Wendy's, my high school, like somewhere between 2007-2010. I was working on the south side by the Walmart? No, uh, uh, by the Target, Carl T. and Bailey Coke. I was working there. I was at the front. Don Mincher comes in. And I immediately recognized Don Mincher because Don Mincher couldn't walk through Huntsville without somebody recognizing him. He was a well-known guy in Huntsville. And oh, like and you're, you're the most well-known baseball savant out of Grissom High School ever. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm well aware of who – I knew who Don Mincher was. And I don't remember what he ordered. He placed his order. But after I took his order – Chicken nuggets. <laughs> and I was like, call it chicken nuggets. I said, hey, you're Don Mincher. And he looked at me and said, yes, and you're Matt, because it says Matt on my name tag. And we started to talk, and somehow I mentioned Ball Four and Jim Bowden. I was like, yeah, you know, you got, you play for the, you know, mentor, you play for the Pilots, and, and Jim Bowden wrote about it in Ball Four, and he said, I know. And when he said, I know, it sounded like a very annoyed, I know, like. I'd rather him not talk about that. Right. So we, we immediately stopped talking about that. So, and it, in, and in my copy of the book, Ball Four, it's like the twenty. It was a the twentieth anniversary re, reissue of the book. Mentor said something along the lines of, "If you're going to do a story about that book, I'd rather you leave me out of it." Because I guess somebody from Seattle wanted to interview former Pilots players about the book, and Mentor was like, "Mentor did not like Jim Bowden." Does <laughs> so that mean that? But if you're going to leave me out of it, does that mean that you possibly showed your ass while you were there? Yeah, because there, there was because a Because if you want to be left out, and that's got to mean that you have something unproud that you're unproud of. In the book. Or not proud of, not unproud of. Not I, I looked at the book again today, and in the book, like between two pages 211 212, Bowden, Mincher, and another player were talking about amphetamines in baseball. Greenies. 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 Oh, that'd be a good episode, Screen. That may be a part of it, as well as other players thinking, well, you kind of invaded our privacy by telling all this stuff. We didn't really appreciate it, so we don't want to talk to you. So so it's kind of on the same tier as the Canseco book. Yeah, like Juiced. You know, same thing with Canseco book. You know, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco do not like each other to this day. Yeah, because it's just, well, you know. Jose Canseco did what he did. But anyway, going back to the 69 Pilots, everybody, you know, if as well as the dumpster fire that was the situation at Sixth Stadium, legendary minor league stadium, not a good major league stadium. You know, Jim Bowden, everybody knows ball four. And, you know, and other books have been written about the 69 Pilots and what went down and how they got the team and so on and so forth. But, you know, at the end of the day, they went bankrupt. They lost a whole bunch of money. And in 1970, they were doing spring training in Arizona. And they were still wearing pilots uniforms. But the situation was up in the air until like April 1st when Bud Selig, you know, when Bud Selig finally bought the pilots and said, we're moving to Milwaukee to play at County Stadium. We're going to be the Brewers. Because there was a minor league team. Milwaukee and the minor league team was the Brewers. So kind of like uh, the Padres – you know, the Brewers and the Orioles, the Brewers were like, we're going to call the team the Brewers. You know, we're going to be the Brewers, just like the minor league team. There's a story, and I don't know if it's true. I think it was true. There was a, the moving van was leaving from spring training, and they stopped, like, I think in Utah. 
Say movie or moving. Sorry, moving van. Okay. So uh, the U-Haul is rolling out. And they got all the pilot's gear and all the stuff. And they're stopped in Utah, like on May, March 31st, April 1st, trying to figure out, do they go west, northwest and go to Seattle, or do they go northeast to Milwaukee? They're stopped there waiting for the... the they're really waiting for the clone call. Right. And so they, they still close or not. Right. And they go to Milwaukee, and they, they get the call, so they're like, <laughs> all right, they go to Milwaukee, and of course they have to alter the uniforms. They keep the they keep the color scheme of the pilots, but they had to alter the uniforms, get a gold M, you know. They had to do all this stuff, and it's just, you know, it was a dumpster fire of a season. And you know, Seattle tried to get a dump stadium earlier for the possibly ready to go, but because it was all rushed, and the Seattle uh, voters were kind of heming and hawing about this whole issue. They didn't get ready to go until 1976. The Kingdom was finally built, and the Seattle Seahawks of the NFL played there. They were an expansion team. And then the next year, the Seattle Mariners was an expansion team, and they came, and Seattle finally got a Major League Baseball team again with the Seattle Mariners. So, what year did the Mariners come in? 1977. It was the same year as the Blue Jays. And so... The Brewers are still in Milwaukee. They never won a World Series. They won the pennant in 82, and they had great players like Robin Yount and Ted Simmons and uh, Paul Molitor and Trevor Yount, Hoff. Molitor, those big ones. Yeah, you know. Um, Seattle's got a team, but they never – the Mariners never made it to the World Series so far. And there's a great video that uh, SB Nation did. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll never forget the year the Mariners <laughs> set the record for Major League Baseball wins. 116. 116. Uh, I think Ichiro was on that club. Yep. It was his first season, rookie. And there's guys that um, have come back. You know, I played baseball at a couple colleges. Yeah. There's guys that have come back that have been in the minor leagues and played with them. And they said during batting practice, he could just upper deck section 307. I'll put it there. Watch me. Yeah. But he was just an average guy, man. That the Ichiro. Yeah. That's that's a whole different episode. But out of all the expansion teams in 1969, the Pilots was the most interesting drama-filled season because of how all of it went down. If Stuart Symington didn't get his way, and they actually had the season expand in 1971. See, six day. I mean, six day was always going to be the stopgap before the kingdom, but six day would have been a lot ready in '71 than it would be in 1969. Like the pilots probably wouldn't have left for Milwaukee the next year, and then maybe you know the maybe Milwaukee would have gotten an expansion team like in '77, you know, with the Blue Jays or something like that. Anyway, so that is the story of the 1969. Season, the expansion season with the expansion teams. Well, appreciate all y'all um, tuning in. Um, this has been a fun episode talking about the expansion team. We got some more expansions to talk about down the road. Mm-hmm. Also, we've talked about before baseball's an onion. Peel the layers back, and then you find more to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of stuff coming in. 
Uh, as always, if you have anything else you want us to talk about, baseball, H-I-S-101 at gmail.com. Shoot it over to us. Um, I think I'm going to try and get us some social media stuff going so they can be more interactive with us. Yeah. Um, I think we're at 93 followers and almost just over 1,500 views. Yeah, views, please. Views, uh, please, yeah. Um, Matthew, I'm going to speak for you and say we really appreciate everybody. Yes, absolutely. But, um, I think it's time for us to wrap this one up. I hear my dog in two rooms over barking at me, waiting on me. So, <laughs> um, as always, I'm Patrick DeVault. And I'm Matthew Carter. Thank you so much for listening to Baseball History 101, and we'll see you all next time. See you next time, guys. Go, you fight and go. Under the bluest go. Go, you fight and go. Rub my face to the fly. Rub the